ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Which might be right down there to show to you. Yeah, that right there. Anyway, um, so today at work, we did an interview with the Migos, right? Like, I typically don't talk too much about interviews before they actually air. But today at work, we did an interview with the Migos. And uh, I was kind of looking forward to it, you know? Like, I mean, I come around on this thing about the Migos, right? Like, I'm a little bit old to be rocking with their steeds or whatever it is. But I acknowledge that the Migos got their thing going, and it works for them. And, I mean... Pretty much everything I've heard them do been jamming. I'm just 36 years old, right? Like, I can't hold it against them that I'm 36 years old. You know, I remember it was that day Q-Tip came on and said how much he he rocked with the Migos, and y'all was about to drag him. Drag him. Anyway, man, look like three cats back, you know, been cool for a long time. You know, Ken or whatever it is. Anyway, you know, they winning. I'm happy for them. I always like when we talk to them young boys, you know, and they just look like they winning, and they happen to be winning. And those boys are those types. So anyway, I got a text from one of the producers on the show. And he said, hey, uh, Dan wanted me to make sure to let him know which Migo was which. And I was just wondering if uh, you would like the same thing. And I sent back in all caps, yes. <laughs> yes. I like I don't I don't really be out here jamming enough of the Migos to be telling like knowing which Migo is which. Right. And so then I look at my phone and it's like, okay, offset picture, takeoff picture, Quavo picture. And don't think I've ever felt more wash. I mean, you gotta learn at some point. We all gotta learn at some point. At some point, y'all didn't know which Migo was which either, right? However, as I'm having my television producer let me know. Which Migo is which? I'm like, yeah. Wash, buddy. No way around. No way around. No way around it. Washed. Now, we could take this to another level where apparently when the Migos first sat down, that producer was going through and identifying which Migo was which, except somewhere along the way, he had made an error. And so he had told us that one Migo was not actually the Migo that we thought it was. And it's actually kind of interesting for me also that it honestly didn't matter to us which Migo was which. Like when Dan had a question for takeoff, he's like, takeoff. And then whichever one of them is takeoff is going to be the one to answer. You know, like like that's probably the best way to find out, right? I think, hey, like, hey, takeoff. And then takeoff goes like that. Okay, cool. Now we know who takeoff is. Um, anyway, but the producer accidentally got it wrong at first, and then he came back around and told us, no, this one's this one, this one, or whatever it is. And it's so funny because he sent me a text message and he was apologizing for not getting the Migos right because he was afraid that I would have been thinking that he thought that all black people looked alike. But in reality, I, I didn't really feel like I was in a position to judge anyone who didn't know which Migo was which. Because I sure as hell ain't know which Migo was which. Like, they, they, they all one Migo as far as I'm concerned. Like, I've been listening to their songs and they rap, and, you know, like, they don't have the same voice or anything like that. But, I mean, I do feel like the, that each Migo is somewhat interchangeable, not entirely interchangeable, but somewhat. Like, raindrop, drop top. I don't know which Migo says that. Or do the Migos, like, alternate saying that depending on which one just did a verse or which one is going to do a verse? I don't know that. So help me out here, guys. You're in the chat room. Some of y'all seem to listen to the Migos just a little bit more. Uh, tell me about Offset. Tell me, tell me what makes Offset Offset. 
I, I, I realize like how I sound as I'm doing this, but I'm not really prepared as of yet to do the research required to be able to really like keep my amigos straight. But at the same time, I would like to be able to participate in conversations about the Miko. Right. So my man says one of them is the other's uncle. That's not helping me at all here. Tell me. Okay. Quavo is take off uncle. Cool. Tell me like musically, like what's he good at? Okay. He's the hook guy. Okay. 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 Uh, we were talking about which one were we talking about, by the way? Oh, okay. Takeoff has the raspy voice. Got it. Got it. Which one were you just talking about before? We talked about takeoff or offset. I can't remember. Like, I'm not even trying to, I'm not even trying to shade these dudes. I promise I'm not. This is much more about me being old than anything involving them. Okay. So Quavo. Oh yeah. Quavo Ratatouille. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I'd be able to, to keep him straight there. Okay. Cool. So you take off the one you say who do the hooks. Okay. Quavo does the hooks. Take off has the best flow in bars, and they say Offset is just the homie. I don't know if this is true. I'm sure that some of you are really big Offset fans and believe that gentleman is selling Offset short. Oh, Quavo is dating Cardi B. Wow, honestly, where were you guys before we interviewed the Migos? Now, you guys really could have prepped me for this interview. Wow, somebody said Offset is prize, and I don't know if the Migos listen to the Fugees, but I'm telling you now, if they do or when they do, Brian Carroll, Offset going to come find you. Please believe that. He is coming your way. But, yeah, anyway, uh, we talked to the Migos today. And on one hand, I'm cool enough to – and, and by the way, the Migos continued a stretch on our television show. I'm just giving you all the behind-the-scenes, highly questionable stuff today. Um, one thing that we, me and Dan have to deal with on highly questionable, and I don't know how often because I don't get to watch the show anymore because I do radio at the time. But um, I don't know if they show you like all the people where Dan's like, here's the guy you want to see. And it becomes so obvious that they never gave a damn about us. And it was all about Poppy. And see, the thing about and, and look, we understand that everybody rocks with Poppy and nobody's got a problem with that. Poppy, a job creator, as far as I'm concerned. Comma, however, Dan will introduce himself and then Dan will introduce me. And they looking at the two of us as though we just some other dudes they go interview that day like they have never seen this television show before. And then next thing you know, we bring Poppy and then everybody's eyes just light up. And I'm like, look, you are acknowledging that you watch the television show. Why are you trying to be too cool for school with us? Like, why don't y'all want to show us a little bit of appreciation for the hard work we do? You know what I'm saying? And we're like, this happens all the time, all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, nice to meet you. All right. And then it's like, hey, Poppy, you know, like we had Glenn Robinson the third on. Uh, we did an interview with him. The other day, very good interview, by the way. But, uh, you know, Dan says, what's up? I say, what's up? Poppy comes on and he just lights up on fire. Now, what takes this to another level is I met Glenn Robinson III at a party at the All-Star Game. I had no indication that he had ever watched that television show before. And, like, I was, like, talking to him while I'm talking to one of my homeboys. Nobody cares about us guys. Like, it, it is very like, – and people just go out of their way to make this clear. Uh, Orlando Scandrick, he was on the show. We did an interview with him. This will air. Orlando Scandrick sits down, and he makes it clear to me and Dan early that he doesn't know our names. No clue. 
doesn't know our names. Now, keep in mind, the show used to be called Dan Levitard. It's highly questionable, but it's no longer called that. He just let us know, like, I don't know y'all dudes' names. And, okay, I was cool with that. That's no big deal. And then, of course, Poppy comes, and he knows Poppy. And, 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 by the way, it's not simply that he knows Poppy. Apparently, Orlando Skandrick is, like, I feel like he's the viewer that keeps us in business. And what do I mean? I mean, the Orlando Scandrick is sitting there. Papi, you heard the new Drake? You listen to the new Drake? Like, he was really trying to talk to Papi about the new Drake. What about that Kodak Black? You listen to the new Kodak Black? He was really, 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 like, trying to talk to Papi about Kodak Black. I mean, that that's that's what he was there for. He doesn't know our names. He wants to know what Papi thinks. Of the new Kodak Black. Yeah. It is very, very, very interesting being on a television show where the actual star is like a joke they did one day and it just kept on going forever. And he is a legitimate job creator. But you better be good with yourself, boy. Otherwise, you'd be sitting over there salty as hell with a 74 or a 70 something year old man. Like, like early, there are times where I think about that, but I was like, yo, somebody was wired a little bit different than me. They be coming to work every day looking at that old man. Like, why is he cutting into my shine? And can you imagine? Like, can you imagine that? Like, if I, if, if something happened and I wasn't a highly questionable anymore and I was like, I need to be somewhere where I ain't got to worry about no old man all up in the videos dancing. It would be the end of my career. No one would watch anything. I ever did, ever again, unless they found out Poppy was going to come on screen, slap me in the face, and then turn to the camera and say, we some head bussars. We say, like, that's, that's the only way that anybody, anybody would do that. Anybody would do that. Um, my man Connor here says, anybody ever come at Poppy disrespectful? That actually, yes. I mean, it's not a really a common thing because I don't understand how anybody, like, decides, like, just generally speaking, like, the disrespect. People feel they can dab. But somebody, somebody rolled up on Poppy once and told him that it was embarrassing the way that Dan exploits his father for ratings. Poppy looked at him and says, for ratings? We don't do this for the ratings. We do this for the money. That's a true story, by the way. Just so you know, that is a true story. That really did happen. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. Wow, it's a lot of pretty good questions here. I know you can't discuss sports, but I have a cap relative question. Have you ever been blackballed by a company or a brand? Now, the thing is, you can't really be blackballed by a company, right? Like, for you to really be blackballed, you've got to be, like, shut down by, like, an industry, basically, right? Because if you can go get another job doing the same thing, I don't think it's quite appropriate to say that you have been blackballed. Now, have I ever written for someone who made the decision for one reason or another that they would never run my work again because of heat that they received for something that I wrote? Yes, that absolutely has happened. And that was wild because I had like, I won't tell you who it was. 
but I had done a lot of work for them at different points. And somebody had called me up and asked me to write a particular story. Like they told me what direction they wanted the story to go in. And it just so happened it was a direction that I kind of agreed with. And so I did it. And then the backlash came. And when the backlash came, the dude who asked me to do it was nowhere to be found. And the next thing I knew, my emails were going unreturned. And I'm like, huh? And so then at a different point, an editor that was over this dude's head sends an email that says, yo, work for us again. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to, except your man doesn't return my emails. Right. And then I sent that editor an email and was like, look, do you have any idea why it is that these dudes just don't return my emails anymore? Never got a reply to that email either. And I was just like, oh, word. And so, like, for me, it would have been one thing if it was just a matter of, like, there's heat. And that since there's heat, no one wants to be associated with the heat. I got that. But you told me to do this. See, this is all y'all understand about this game. And this is for real about the media game. This happens all the time. And this is the thing. And I'm not just like, this isn't just like a race thing in particular. This is just something to understand. I think because it's always the writer or the person that's on the screen or whatever it is, they're the face of it. So they're always going to be the one that if there's some sort of problem or people have some sort of disagreement with the fact that something ran or something aired or whatever it was, people are always going to associate that with the person on the screen. The person on the screen is going to be the one that has to pay because they could punish the person behind the scenes, but nobody sees or knows who the person is behind the scenes. You know, like it's always much easier just to bring that heat to whoever the person is that's visible. But man, writers and producers stay walking people into fireball offenses every day, bruh. Every day they walk them out there. Right. And I'm telling you, like, I think this is real. Like, like this is realer that people get that somebody will ask you to go write something and then you go and you write it and then they love it. And then that heat comes and it's just like, all of a sudden they're like, look, we're just going to let him write what he wants. Or I have had an editor who basically told me not involving me specifically, but with other people where he's like, yo, you know, you want to say that I'll let you say that. And then I'll let you deal with whatever the consequences are. Right. Right. Like now, especially for a young writer, that's especially problematic. But as an editor, man, like those are the people that are supposed to be the governor of things. Those are the people supposed to be like, hey, man, I don't think we should do that. And I always feel like it's something like that slips through the membrane. Like that's the editor's fault. You know, you ask the writer to push these brownies and the editor is the one who decides if it's fit for publication, and how to make it fit for publication. Um, if you can't be making these decisions just because people get mad. And I've been down that road, man. And cats got, I mean, I'm serious. Like, that's a big thing that a whole lot that happens to a whole lot of people. So, like, if you're a young writer, please understand this. If something happens and you wind up catching some heat or getting in some level of trouble, I feel pretty confident telling you, ain't nobody going to save you. That editor, if it comes down to you or that editor, unless that editor got some real clout, and if you young, that editor might, but probably not, you the one that's got to go down, just so you know. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. You've joked about how skinny you are in the past, but have you ever actually tried to work out? No, never once. I've never run. I've never touched my toes. I've never touched a weight in my life. Of course I've worked out before, right? Um, But I'm skinny. Like, you just got to understand this. I can work out, and I will turn into a different variety of skinny 
But I'm just one of those people. I'm going to be skinny for a minute. Like, I don't know what it's going to take. Maybe I get married and then you put on that, that married weight. I have no idea. But, like, I've never had a period of time in my adult life that involved, like, a significant weight gain. It just hasn't happened. And it's not like I'd be out here starving myself or anything like that. Like, I eat. I just don't gain weight. And see, this is the thing about being skinny. I've talked about this before, and I don't think people understand this. Like, if you're fat, there might be somebody who says something to you in your face about being fat. And because they just, you know, they don't got a little too comfortable in that way. And so that's why they do that. Right. But there'll always be somebody there by and large. It's like, yo, man, you can't keep doing, you know, you can't do that, man. That's against the rules, da, 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 everything else. Yo, man, being skinny, nobody has any problem talking about it whatsoever because it's completely on the other end of it. People be saying anything to me like, damn, do you eat? Oh, man, you want another plate? This whatever it is. And I'm just sitting here like, so this, I'm just curious here. Do you think that you're the first person to tell me that I'm skinny? Right? Like, like what leads you to believe that this is something that I would find to be, like, humorous? Right. Right. Like, come on, man. Now, what happened with me, though, to be perfectly honest, is I got a little older and, like, I heard some people say it in high school, but then I reached my adult life. And that's when I realized, you know, there's act- there is a segment of women that like this tall and skinny thing, right? Like, I always felt like I had to be working with somebody that was trying to, like, dig something and, like, you know, willing to make a concession. Right? Like, he's skinny. I'll make it work. No, nah, man. I got older, and I saw that there's a whole bunch of women that like tall, skinny dudes. Because one thing I figured out, my homeboy has this thing. He said his uncle told him something once. His uncle said, look, man, don't never do nothing because women like it. You know why? Because you know why women like? What he said, you know what women like? Anything. And that's real. Women like a dude in uniform. Uh, Women like a dude in a suit. Women like a dude... In a tank top undershirt. Uh, women like a dude in jeans with no belt on. Women like a dude in basketball shorts. Women like a dude in hoodies. Women like a dude who's got his, who's clean shaven. Women like a dude who's got a beard. Not every woman likes every dude, but women like a little bit of everything. Like whatever the particular type is, women like a little bit of everything. One thing about women that is interesting and underrated about this as we have this discussion is that women are much better at articulating what it is that they like. I would make the argument that dudes like a little bit of everything, too, because I see all kinds of decisions, compromises, and sacrifices people make in the name of a bad idea, right? Um, Dudes got a whole lot that they like, too. They just can't really say it. It all just comes out with, I just want to have sex with her, right? Or oh, something broad. You know, I love red bones, right? Now, you know, that's it, like tall and skinny, right? No, yeah, sure, I love me a red bone. That's all it takes. That's it, right? It's not some full-on, it's just one thing, one thing. You see, she got some things. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Sometimes it might be something weird, right? Like, hey, look at those feet. But it'll be about one thing. One thing, one thing only. Man, here somebody love yellow bones. See, that's what I'm saying. That's all it takes. Like, you know those dudes. You know those dudes. Those dudes that can see a woman from behind, and all they know is that that is a light-skinned woman, and they have instantly declared that she's fine. Right? 
She can turn around and look like a jack-o'-lantern. Don't even matter. Doesn't even matter. That's all it takes. That's it. There's a man here saying fine clavicles. We discussed this the other day. I had no idea, but apparently deep clavicles are a thing. I think that's among white people. Could be mistaken. Talked to a lot of black dudes about women many, many times. Never once has the clavicle come up. Never has. I read it in some story. I think it was about Tommy Lauren. I read it in a story. And this woman was referring to her, you know, just about her general, like, aesthetic and being attractive and all of that stuff. And she said, yeah, she got, like, clavicles that you could take a shot from. And I was like, is that how they're supposed to be? You know, like, I'm the super skinny dude, right? Okay, I am. Look look, look at this collarbone, right? Like, granted, I'm not a woman, but I, you can't take no shot out of this. You know what I'm saying? I was like, and so if you start going, like, beyond the realm of skinny that involves me, you start talking about stuff like that. I'm like, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why would you wait, like, what's up with that? But anyway, as I was saying, um, yes, I have worked out before. It has gone well at points when I have worked out. I just don't really feel like working out right now. But what I would be is a leaner, meaner, maybe not even leaner, but it would be a meaner version of skinny, but skinny nonetheless. And I'm good with that. I am good with that. Harry says, how much can you bench? I have no idea the last time I tried to bench press. What kind of stupid-ass question is that to ask somebody? Like, if you're a grown man and you out here testing people on what they can bench press, something tells me that you're a dork. And see, you cast that on that thing is the dorks who don't bench press. Nah, bruh. Nah, bruh. You still keeping track of how much you bench press that is every bit as stupid as me asking people what they scored on the SAT. Just go in there and get in shape. You know what I'm saying? Just go get in shape. That's all this is. Harry said that's a pretty common icebreaker. And then what? What you talk about next? Yes, because you lift weights don't mean you ain't no dweeb. Like on that level, I remember, man, I saw um cat I went to high school with, man. Um, I guess I'll probably see him at reunion this year if he comes. But I remember him, like, being a bit dorky when we were in school. And, like, for me to have been in school and been able to say that he kicked it a bit dorky indicated that there was, like, a legitimate bit of dorkiness involved. Man, that dude got outside hitting them weights and went to the Marines. Don't y'all say nothing to him about what I just said. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Janet Huber got to let it go at some point, right? Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Janet Hubert is the original Aunt Viv on the Fresh Prince, uh, dark skin Aunt Viv. And if you don't know this, um, I, I guess it sort of depends on who you ask about this, but Janet Hubert has always been pretty adamant that Will Smith got her run off um, of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah, 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 that that he got to run off. Now, keep in mind that at this point, that would have to be 25 years ago. That had to be 25 years ago that this happened. Um, I don't know what happened. I don't know what that. Apparently, they had some Fresh Prince reunion or something like that, and they'll never be inviting her um, to the reunions. They'd they be inviting um, the step-aunt Viv, but they'll be inviting the first-aunt Viv uh, to the reunions. And I think she called Alfonso Ribeiro a hoe or something like that. Did I see that right? Yeah. Yeah. She has not let this go. Just just absolutely not let this go. Um, 
And I'm trying to think of what it would take for me to be mad at something in the way that she mad for 25 years. Like, think of this in your life or whatever it is. What would you need to be, like, that mad at in your life for 25 years? Because I don't have anything. I, I'm like, yeah, no, 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 no. I don't have anything. Like, I even let it go when my homeboy in high school, while I was out with knee surgery, ran the okey-doke, tried to scoop up a prom date while I was laid up at the crib with a debilitating injury. That's a story for another day. But I even let that go. And that was only 21 years ago. Yeah, different story on a different day. But she got to let that go. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing, though. To be fair to her, man, that fire, I'm not saying that fire cost her a lot of money because you can't count money that you never had. But, man, that show his syndication. She's got a few more seasons. More money, more money, more money. Appreciate the question. Let me see here. Do you feel Chappelle's stand-ups were pushed out? Not like he's not operating at the same genius level he wants to play. Do you like the stand-ups? So I think we talked about this a little bit earlier last week, but I think it's an important thing for me to like point out to people. I have seen Dave live three times in the last four years. I feel like I saw him in 2013 at the Fillmore Miami Beach. I saw him in 2015 at the Fillmore Miami Beach. And then I saw him play like some museum or something like that in Coral Springs last month. Now, he was pretty funny when I saw him in 2013, but not great. And he was funny when I saw him in 2015, but not like supremely excellent. I saw him in 2017, and it is one of the best comedy shows that I've ever seen, whether on television, in person, or anything else. He was really, really, really funny when I saw him in 2017. And with 2017, it was a pretty Trump-heavy set, though not entirely. But he was really funny. So when people are asking, do we feel the day uh, standards were pushed out, uh, one, I think that some of you are talking about his level of genius, and you're talking about it in the context of a television show. Right. Like, the television show was absolutely genius. Dave's a really, really good stand-up comedian, but um, it's always been a bunch of sophomoric stuff in his set. It's always been a bunch of, like, silly-type stuff in his set. Um, I guess, again, I'd seen him live all these times, so I'd seen some of those jokes before, so some of them were not, like, hitting me the way that they had hit other people. But I'm telling you, when I saw him in 2017, that was real live, unadulterated genius. Like, there's no other way to put it. I think he took some risks in these for Netflix, but if you ask the question, do I think they were pushed out? No, nah, I think Netflix played $20 million per special, and he got 60 Like, let's stop and take a moment to think about how Dave won here, because we can talk about him walking away from the $50 million from Comedy Central. That's fine. And that was, like, 12, 13 years ago. So there's a time value of money thing that happens. Okay, cool. But he was going to get $50 million to keep on doing that television show. This dude got $60 million for three stand-up specials. I feel like he made the money back. Let's stop and appreciate that for a second. I feel like he made the money back. Appreciate the question. Go to the next one. Do you still laugh every time you hear the whole ship? <laughs> I sure do. And by the way, never heard the story of the whole ship. I haven't told it on here in a while. And I will do that. I will tell you about, well, okay. Here's how it goes. Let me give it a little second to tell people, because maybe some people have never heard the story of the whole ship. And if they've never heard the story of the whole ship, I want to give them the time 
to jump in and hear this story of the whole ship. Um, and so check this out, right? Talk to a homeboy. Homeboy got a homeboy. Oh, yeah, homeboy got a homeboy. And they's at work. And they was just talking about life and, you know, people talking about, you know, this situation with women or whatever. And my man said he had a story to tell. And so he says he's married to a woman and she worked on one of the cruise lines. Right. She worked on one of the cruise lines. And, you know, she'd go out for, you know, the time that the cruise is out and then she would come back or whatever it was. And something was giving uh, her husband a little inclination that maybe there was something to be worried about, right? Like, that's what he was thinking. That's what he was getting at. Maybe there was something to be worried about. And so then one day he's at the crib and the phone rings and some dude, and the way the story was relayed to me, quote, with a name like Esteban, unquote, then goes, where's Gloria? Not mass Peter Gloria. Not as Gloria in. Where's Gloria? And so my man is like, oh, hold on, hold on. So somewhere in this, he got the bright idea that he would like put a recorder in the house. Because he wanted to find out if there was any shenanigans going on. So he put the recorder in the house. So he put the recorder in the house, but some time had passed, and he was just kind of like, yo, whatever. You know, like he he had kind of stopped tripping on it. He'd almost kind of felt bad about the fact that he even put the recorder in the house. But something one day told him to go check out what was on the recorder. And so he checks it, and he hears his old lady on the phone and she's talking to her mom and she sounds a little panicked and she's like, I don't know. I just, I just feel like he knows. I just, I don't know. I just think I just feel like he knows. Um, I mean, God, I'm just scared. I mean, what's he going to do when he finds out I'm fucking the whole ship, not the whole team, not everybody in the hall, the whole ship, <laughs> the whole ship. And here's the thing about the whole ship. I had no real concept of how big a cruise ship was until I moved to Miami. And then I saw a cruise ship. And I just couldn't imagine what it had to be like to be that bad. That day to hear that. How do you go? And I need you guys to understand something here, okay? I don't think I've ever heard a better story in my life than the whole ship. I don't think there is. And you know why I don't think there is? Because every time I say I'm going to tell the story, of the whole ship. The people who have already heard the story, they all get excited. The people who have never heard the story are never ready for the punchline. They never are. They never are. And see, the thing about the whole ship is this. 
this is all really a matter of phrasing, right? Because, I mean, it's not every person on the cruise ship. It's not every person that works on the ship, right? This is certainly hyperbole, and you know that it's hyperbole. But I'm asking you, if you're a dude, wired like most dudes are wired in this patriarchy, can you think of a way that that could have been phrased that would have made you feel worse than hearing the whole ship. Is there any way that that could have been pitched that would be worse than the whole ship? I will not indulge your misogynistic inclinations as we talk about this. I'm just telling you, how's it hit you in the pit of your stomach when you hear the whole ship? Like the whole team. I don't think it goes over quite like the whole ship. The big part of why it doesn't quite go over like the whole ship, scurvy. You're thinking about scurvy. You're worried about catching scurvy. That's not even how you catch scurvy. But when you think about the bad things that happen on the high seas, I'm pretty sure that scurvy is at the top of the list. I don't know how it went when you were in school. But when I was in school, when they talked about the dangers, a sailing on the high seas, the first thing they mentioned was scurvy, right? So right now, you are thinking to yourself, that man may have had scurvy in his home. Once again, not how you get scurvy. It's not how scurvy works. But you never can be sure, right? You never can be sure. How'd you guys enjoy the, the story? Those of you, you first-timers, how, how'd you enjoy hearing about the whole ship? See, see, and you have to understand this. The next time it's time for me to tell the whole ship, you go sit around. It'd be like just watching. I even like watching a movie again. Like listen to your favorite song. Like that's how the whole ship feels. It feels like listening to your favorite song. My whole boy who told me the whole ship story, who I need to talk to because he just had a baby and I've been busy. But I can send him a text right now. That's it. The whole ship. And yes, Dan says, somehow the punchline is still shocking, even though it's the title of the story. Because there's no way for you to expect that at that moment, I'm about to say that about the whole ship. (laughs) And the reason that the whole ship story became such a thing, really, is everybody captures it at the same point. And that point is... Wait, the whole ship? <laughs> like every time that someone has stopped and asked you to double back on it on that, they're like, wait a minute. The whole ship? The whole ship. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can't move off this topic because I can't think. <laughs> the whole ship. Somebody asked, why did my man ever even tell that story? I'm just as confused by that as you are. Oh, man, man. (sighs) The whole ship. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. 
I love when albums drop, but the reviews come out so fast now. Does it matter if projects are classic material anymore, or are they just tweet-worthy? And this is a fascinating question to me, and I've been talking. I had a conversation with somebody about this the other day where a couple of things have happened. One of them is that the music press is far more decentralized now. And I say that to say, like, you know, it's been a while, but, like, we went to the source of XXL, and that was kind of, like, we use those publications to establish the canon. Like, they established a certain level of credibility. The source lost its credibility. But we looked to them to, we would look to them to, like, put these records into context, right? Put them in a historical context. And, like, Rolling Stone magazine was that, of course, for a long time for a lot of different types of music. And let me tell you something. That stuff is important in a way. And, like when I started writing about music, when I decided that was something that I was going to do, a lot of it was going back and checking out old music criticism and finding out what was the heat back when, whenever when happened to be. And so what was written in the reviews and stuff had a lot to do with that. Like a lot of the things also that people like came back around to, but that was like, that's where it came from. And that's where I learned and got on stuff was a certain level of faith in the zeitgeist. I suppose is the way to put it. I don't really know how that works right now because, yeah, reviews come out really fast. Like, we've reached a point now where I don't care who drops a record. If, if it comes out one day or at night or whatever it is, I'm not listening to it the same day that y'all do. I'm not. I'm giving it at least three, four days to breathe at this point because it's so hard not to get caught up in these immediate reactions. And then you find yourself listening to the record for like two, three days, maybe tops. And then it doesn't get any burn anymore because, hey, for me, in part, because I can go back to some of these classics that I got here. I don't really know how exactly things catch on to be classic in this day and age. Because, like, I was thinking about Drake, for example. Now, people my age will probably be out here like, man, they ain't no classics or whatever. But the generation, like, the people for whom this music is for, they're the ones that make the decision on whether this stuff is classic. And, like, Drake, Look, man, Drake been out here damn near 10 years now. Like, 2009 was a long time ago. We are in 2017. There's a whole generation that grew up with Drake. Like, people are talking about Drake like it's just some fad that we'll look back on. Like, wow, people were into that then? People have been into this for eight years. Like, when this decade ends and you ask, like, who is the defining voice of rap music in the 20-teens, it's Drake. Now, you can be like, Kendrick Lamar is better and all this other stuff. Like, you can do that, and I think you'll probably probably be right when you do that. But this is Drake's decade, and somebody going to say some of that is classic. Somebody will. But I do wonder, even within that context, how much of people, like, going back and listening to, you know, Take Care and the early Drake albums. And I mean, I'm, I'm sincerely curious about that. I have no idea because I don't know really, truly what the concept of replay value is anymore. I don't, you know, and we don't have radio stations now that reinforce what is or isn't classic music. Like, for example, like you think about this with like the Hits and Dusty stations, you know, for, with, with, you know, a classic rock stations, whatever it is. Those stations are reinforcing to you what is like what are supposed to be the important records of that time. So if you're younger and you're riding with your parents and this radio station is playing this, that's reinforcing to you what classic is. Whether or not you think it should be and maybe you rebel against it, whatever, but it's establishing what that canon is. I don't know where people are going to go back to it. Like I think about this with music that I grew up with. Like other than like backspin on serious, like how many cities have like a classic hip hop station? Like are you really in a position 
where you can just go back and just peep this stuff. And if you're a kid, you hear it and you realize, oh, okay, this is what the heat was from back in the day. I don't know how it endures because reviews used to be certainly part of it, but reviews are done so carelessly now that I don't blame the writers. I mean, this is the nature of the beast because it almost doesn't matter how early they get the record. Do go out and leak it or whatever it is. It come out of nowhere. The last version of the record that you heard ain't even the record. And so you're not in a position to review this until everybody else gets it. And then what's the point of reviewing it if everybody's already got it? So you're going to go in there and try to write as fast as you can to get a review up. But like if this thing came out at midnight, you can't write no review on it at 10 a.m. You can't. Like there's, there's no way that you could write a decent, responsible review that fast. You know, like I used to take days writing reviews, and even that wasn't enough, right? Like, there was a point where you really got to sit and you had time with these things. Like, now when I listen to records, especially if it's a record that I know I'm going to talk about here or go on Twitter about it, whatever it is, dude, I'm listening to it like three, four times if I can, right? I listen to it about three, four times if I can. I might listen to it on the stereo. I might listen to it on headphones. I'm trying to listen to it in the car, whatever it is. But, like, I'm trying to listen to it. Like, when Run the Jewels 3 came out, I'm trying to remember, yeah, first time I listened to it, I was driving, because they put it out on Christmas, which is just bizarre, but I was driving from Jacksonville to Miami, I listened to it, and then I put it in again, because I was trying to write something about it, and I just never came around to it, but I wanted to listen to it again, so I threw it in the car and drove through Liberty City, because like, I'm listening to this chaos music, I felt, I'm sorry, driving up and down Collins wasn't really giving me what I needed to understand what was going on with this. But, like, I would take it and try to take it into all these different settings and just try to, like, get a different feeling. Like, it's actually Good Kid, Mad City, which I didn't write a review on, I don't recall, but became a very interesting thing is I did not enjoy listening to Good Kid, Mad City at my house. And then I came to find out that not all the speakers on my stereo system was firing because it made no sense to me because I was putting it on headphones and that thing was knocking, dog. It was knocking. So I'm like, so this is a headphone masterpiece and just doesn't work in stereos. And then I found out, no, my stereo was not working. But you need that time to write something, right? Like, if you want to write something people will read, you can do that in the morning. But if you want to write something worth reading in a review, baby, that takes time. There just ain't no way around that. That takes time. And so, yeah, I don't know, like, what the notion of classic is. What are the things that are ultimately going to endure? Keep in mind also that we're not like radio and what that means in people's lives is going to change. And people are going to be out here doing their own level of programming. You know, how exactly does it work? Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. What decade is most of your favorite music from? See, this is almost a difficult one to answer because as I've got, like, I mean, like, I, obviously music I grew up with is the 90s, right? And I think that the 90s was a spectacular era for music because of all the things that were coming together at that time. Like, one thing you got to remember with the 90s, too, is, like, the 90s is the first time that you're, like, consistently getting rap music on MTV, which then like also means that this is the first, like you're really getting black people to tune in and take this way into top 40 radio that they had done somewhat, but not nearly as much. Right. And so that, I think that led to a lot of combination in people's like interest in what they might've been into. And it took them to listen to things that they otherwise probably would not have listened to. So like, I really rock with the nineties cause I'm a hip hop head. Absolutely. But I don't really like nineties rock that much. Like that's the thing. I don't really like nineties rock that much. So, like, if you ask me my favorite period for any, like, particular type of music, it would probably be 90s rap. However, just in totality, what decade was bringing the most heat? 
I think that this is unequivocally no-brainer, the 1970s. Because the thing about the 70s is the 70s were a combination of expanding technology, um, a loosening of the norm, so we're no longer trying to make these songs three minutes and just be singles, while you still had people who came up without the technology, so their sophistication instrumentally was much different because that was what was required before you had the technology to make it easy. Right, there's just so much going on in the seventies. The ambition of the seventies is unparalleled to me. I don't think any decade had more ambition with music. And sometimes that turned out to be big and bloated and unnecessary and going about things the wrong way, certainly. But yeah, the ambition of the nineteen nineties is rocking over I mean actually seventies rather, is rocking over everything else. Appreciate the question. Let me give you one more. Most underrated Prince album. Uh the most <laughs> It's a dilemma for me. And how exactly do we answer the most underrated Prince album? Because I feel like, okay, so the answer to me, by the way, is Batman. Like, I think the Batman soundtrack has some incredible moments. It's got some couple tracks I don't think are that great. But uh, the Batman soundtrack has some incredible moments. But here's the thing. As time goes on, the answer to this is changing and is going from Batman and is going to Dirty Mind. Because the thing about Batman, and as good as I think the Batman is, and as much as I enjoy listening to Batman, I'm not exactly sure that I would go so far as to call Batman a classic. It is a concept record. It got a lot of stuff going on with it. But I don't know if I would go as far as to call Batman a classic. Dirty Mind is, was, will be unequivocally a classic. But when anybody talking about Dirty Mind these days? And this is where, like, music press stuff comes in, right? Where's anybody talking about Dirty Mind these days? So given how many people are forgetting about Dirty Mind, Dirty Mind is quickly becoming the one. And also, you got to remember, Dirty Mind doesn't have, like, that one single. Like, Dirty Mind's got When You Were Mine, which I think is big amongst Prince fans, but it's not, like, big amongst the world necessarily. It's got Uptown, again, big amongst amongst Prince fans, but not amongst the world. That one just doesn't have the single, right? So, like, the first Prince album has, uh, I mean, not the first, the second one. The first one has Soft and Wet, which went huge. But the second one has I Want to Be Your Lover and uh, Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad. All right, so, like, those, those are singles, right? People know what's going on with that. Then comes Dirty Mind. Dirty Mind didn't have the single. Controversy got singles, though. Controversy has controversy. 1999 got singles. Uh, Purple Rain got singles. Round the World Today got singles. All those records have singles. The only one that ain't got that single is Dirty Mind. And Dirty Mind is better than damn near all of them. It is pretty incredible. And yes, on the underrated, Love Sexy is very high on there. The thing about Love Sexy is this. This is one of the fascinating things to observe about Love Sexy. As frustrating as it can be that Prince put all the Love Sexy into one track. If you try to listen to Love Sexy, not as one track, but like try to break it out, it is a much less enjoyable listening experience. It is. If you listen to Love Sexy all at one time, it can be incredible. You start skipping tracks, it doesn't work. Like he said, the reason he put it all on one track is that he thought it worked better all on one track. And then one day I sat down and I did it all on one track. And I was just like, man, this is what I ever got for doubting you. That said, Love Sexy does have when two are in love. And I feel like if you go put when two are in love somewhere, you got to give people the opportunity to break that one out all by itself. Because uh, when two are in love is exquisite. But all right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We, uh, the Evening Jones. I'm doing The Evening Jones right now. We try to do this thing here once a week. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Um, don't forget, if you ever miss anything live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. 
Also, subscribe at Google Play, and I will do my best to check you guys next week. Take it easy.